Um, but we're starting a new series uh, today looking uh, for the next, uh, between now and Easter, looking at the Stations of the Cross. And um, the, the Stations of the Cross um, were originally this kind of 14-step Catholic devotion that com- commemorates Jesus' final day on earth that culminates in his death and burial. Uh, and these different stations or devotions focus on specific events of his last day. Um, and uh, some of these, uh, so this is a Catholic tradition, um, but then uh, re- in 91, which was quite cool, uh, Pope John Paul II was like, hey, you know, some of these stations aren't like drawn from the text. Um, they're uh, extra biblical in the sense that these uh, were thought to happen, but they're, they're commemorating stuff that we can't draw di- directly from the, the text. And so he's instituted this new thing called the Scriptural Stations of the Cross, which is the one that we're doing. All the evangelicals can, sigh, can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, we're going to look at these different stations. If you go to the next slide, so we're going to look at two this morning. Next slide, Steve. Uh, <coughs> So these are the different stations that we're going to be looking at uh, over the next number of weeks. And today we're going to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we're going to look at Jesus portrayed by by Judas. And the whole point of this journey uh, is that we would not just kind of slide into Easter, the climactic weekend of the Christian calendar, without having deeply considered the journey that Jesus took and all of the beautiful moments that reveal the nature of God revealed through Jesus. And... um, the most powerful experiences you can have is when you cease to try and even cognitively and theologically and intellectually try and understand, you know, uh, all the different stuff that happened over Easter, and just you gaze upon Jesus and the and the with the eyes of your heart, you just gaze upon him, and as you gaze upon him, it's so deeply transforming. It's so beautiful. So that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to literally read the text. We're going to have a little, a few little reflections, and then we're just going to pause. And just allow the hearts, the eyes of our hearts, just to look upon Jesus at these different stations. Is that all good? So let's uh, jump into your Bibles, uh, and we are just going to be working our way through methodically some uh, uh, some uh, text here. Uh, Jesus, we're going to start now. We would have done communion this morning. We'll do this. We do this every week, so it's okay. Uh, but the story really begins with uh, the Last Supper. Uh, so let's pre- pretend that we took communion this morning. Uh, and then in Matthew 26, we're going to be following Matthew's account here. Verse 36, it says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he went back again. He found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
There's a whole lot of stuff in the text that I wish I could unpack. I've just been swimming in these texts this week, and there's so much richness uh, here. It's interesting that, you know, the last time that Jesus took Peter, James, and John away with them, uh, away with him by themselves, they went up to the Mount Tabor where Jesus was transfigured, and they saw him in his glory, and they saw Elijah, and they saw Moses next to him, and, the, and they saw Jesus in his glory. It was just incredible. And now these same uh, groups, Group of three are together again in the garden, and they watched as uh, as Jesus is transfigured once more, not into glory, but into a man filled with sorrow. How beautiful is that? N.T. Wright says this: We are encouraged to see this scene too as somehow a revelation of the glory of God. It is one thing to be transfigured in the sense of shining with the dazzling light of God's glory. It is another thing, perhaps equal if not greater, to be seen in agony, sharing the sorrow and the pain of the world. Perhaps the two scenes need to be need each other to be complete. Certainly, our own in our own pilgrimage, if we are faithful, we will have elements of both. Isn't that true? Moments of incredible highs and the glory, and then these moments of incredible sorrow. But I just want to dive in just to these three things that Jesus does. I mean, it's so interesting that at this moment, like Jesus has been preaching and been telling his disciples for a long time, I'm going to be I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Then, as it starts to get closer and closer, Jesus. You can see it start to sink from, I know it up here to, oh, this is happening, this is happening. And what's Jesus' response to this is to have a quiet time, is to, have his, is to practice his devos, his devotional time. I mean, how, how many to every Sunday I bang this drum, right? And it's like devos are important, cultivate a deep devotional life. And in Jesus, you see, particularly at moments of incredible um, like poignancy in his life, like, you know, for example, when he, before he's tempted by Satan, he goes and he prays for, and fasts for 40 days. And I'd always thought, oh man, you know, Jesus was attacked by Satan at his weakest. Physically, sure, at his weakest, but spiritually at his strongest. He could handle the onslaught because he had been just soaked in prayer. And Jesus, before he embarks on this uh, horrific journey of crucifixion, uh, he, he just goes to the garden and he goes to a place of solitude and he brings two of his two close, you know, three closest mates like, guys, can you join me here? We need a, we need, I need to pray. I need you to pray with me. And he's got such compassion on them that they're really tired, you know? And like, he like tells them off the first time that after a little while, he's like, you can just stay sleeping, guys. So, you know, he's so kind in the midst of all of this stuff. But, but Jesus does these three things. Uh, in his prayer, and I want us to do the same three things this morning as we gaze upon this moment. Jesus firstly expresses his feelings to God. He's like, he's sorrowful to the point of death. He's, like, he just, he's filled with these, uh, this feeling. And then he expresses his desire to God. If it's possible, take this cup. The cup it's like a, you know, they would, this was like a Jewish kind of way of saying my lot in life of what's going over. In the Psalms, you'll hear things like my cup runneth over. It's like, what's the vibe of your life right now? That's kind of your cup. And, uh, and, uh, and Jesus is like, take this cup, this, this cup of suffering that I'm about to experience. Can you take this cup from me? And he expresses his desires. And then lastly, he trusts, he deeply trusts God, not as I will, but as, as you will. Can we go to that picture of um, of, uh, of Jesus in the garden. Um, what I would love us to do this morning is to look upon Jesus in this place 
And, um, and I don't know what you're going through at the moment in your life, but this is a wonderful paradigm for us to engage with God, to express how we're feeling to God. Now, there may be like great stuff happening in your life. Express it. I'm feeling joyful. I'm feeling stoked. I'm so grateful. Um, nor, you know, often we just jump straight to the desires, but God wants to know how you're feeling. And so we come to Him and we say, this is how I'm feeling. This is, this is what's going on in my life. And we pour it out. Full, and then we bring our desires to Him. This is what I'd love to see happen, Lord. I'd love to see breakthrough here. I'd love to see healing here. I want this, Lord. And we bring our desires to Him. But this last step is the most beautiful. It's the most deep. It's the most rich. Lord, I trust You. Lord, I trust You. Lord, not my will, but Your. I just trust You. I trust You. So we're just going to have a um, play a song in the background for a couple of minutes. And I would invite you as you look upon this picture to take that process, the feelings, your desires, and, uh, and then ultimately coming to a place. This will be two or three minutes, uh, and, uh, and then we will uh, continue in the text. pray, Lord, for people going through especially challenging times right now. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and bring comfort. 
Lord, I pray that you would come and meet them. Lord, I pray that you would come and encourage them. Lord, I pray that they would, uh, in their deep in their hearts, come to the place of peace that Jesus came to, of being able to trust his heavenly Father. Come and encourage us this morning. Amen. It's interesting to note Jesus' sense of peace after, uh, after he had prayed. Uh, let's read from uh, verse um, 20, uh, 47. Sorry. So while he's still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him. It was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to them, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Just an incredible sense of calmness over Jesus in this moment. And that's the fruit of having a, 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 like connected deeply with his heavenly Father. And we'll notice all the way through the, the journey that we're going to take over these weeks, the sense of peace that rests on Jesus, the sense of, of deep assurance. And that is because he's grounded in deep relationship with his heavenly Father. And we're invited to do the same. Um, I don't know if you've experienced betrayal in your life. It's got to be one of the most painful experiences a person can go through, is their is the, uh, is the feeling of the experience of betrayal. And we see Jesus, um, Jesus go through this when Judas, one of his own disciples, one of his closest 12, uh, betrays Jesus. And uh, there's a lot to Ju- uh, Judas's backstory that uh, make this a very interesting passage. Um, is, uh, Brian Zahn contends that um, Judas had, had belonged at a point to um, a group called the Sicarii, uh, and uh, the, or they were called the Sicarites. So this is like, um, you know, you've got Simon the Zealot, who's like a, 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 a um, terrorist trying to overthrow the Roman occupying force on behalf of the Jewish people. The Scarites were like another level where they were, uh, they were known for carrying out assassination of Roman soldiers um, and officials. Um, and their method was kind of to select a target in a crowded public place, strike them with concealed daggers, uh, and then escape by blending into the crowd. And so most likely Judas was part of uh, this particular group of people before uh, he met Jesus. Uh, and, and that's important to note because what there's, they're, they're kind of like, like why did Jesus, Judas betray Jesus? Well, obviously the guy's in charge of the money purse for the disciples and had and embezzled that and there was some issues with greed for Judas uh, and he gets the 30 pieces of silver. But you'll notice throughout this particular text that, that Jesus is disarming his disciples and trying to once more say that violence is not the way that the kingdom of God advances. Violence is not the way that we... we and so Judas comes up to Jesus and says, free, and, and Jesus says to Judas, 
do what you've got to do, friend. Now, the Greek word friend is a very interesting one. It's not the, the word that, um, that is normally used, uh, philos, uh, to mean, you know, like, like brotherly affection. The word he uses there is this word uh, hetairos, which means uh, basically this friend like, like man, we get it. We really understand what we're about. And then he uses this word, hetairos, which means more comrade. It's like, you, we don't see the world the same way, do we, Judas? So he uses this word to say, hey, you know, I, I catch up with people in our leadership team or key leaders in our church, and I'm like, we sit down, and I'm like, we see the world the same way. We see Jesus the same way. We see discipleship the same way. And, it's, and then there's sometimes I talk to people in church, and it's like, I don't feel like we're kind of getting, you know, talking to someone that left our church earlier actually this week, and it was like, we just didn't really see Jesus the same way or the church the same way, and that's fine. We're still friends, but more comrades than, than deep brotherly affection because we see the thing the whole way and the same way. And for Jesus, he still has this contenderness towards Judas, even in the midst of this. Uh, and he disarms his disciples. Um, and this is what Zan reckons with Judas. He's like, um, he's like, Judas went there to provoke Jesus to violent action. Like, come on, Jesus, start overthrowing this, like, start using force. Uh, but Zan says this, Judas miscalculated, tragically so. Jesus really meant what he taught and would not resort to violence, even when tempted to do so. So when things spun out of control and Jesus was actually arrested by the temple guard and condemned to death by the Sanhedrin, Judas was remorseful, deeply remorseful. Judas returned the money, confessed his guilt to the priests and insisted that Jesus was an innocent man. When Judas saw he had set into motion something he could not stop, something that would result in the execution of Jesus, Jesus, he despaired and committed suicide. These are not the actions of a petty thief. These are the actions of a failed revolutionary. Jesus betrayed Jesus, not primarily for money. He returned the money, but for the cause of violent revolution. Judas wanted a violent Messiah and he was willing to give Jesus a little push toward taking up the sword. Jesus tempted Jesus to take up the sword just as Satan had tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Remember, Satan had entered Judas at this point. Judas had a problem with money, but he had an even bigger problem with violence. And it's interesting, like over the years preaching, a number of years ago, we preached through the Sermon on the Mount. And the, and the most uncomfortable I felt our church is when we went through the Beatitudes and we went through Jesus' teaching about nonviolence. Because at a certain point, people will say, there has to be a line where we have to get violent. And Jesus never does. He never resorts to violence. He never, he never recycles anger. He never recycles revenge. He doesn't continue that perpetual thing of, of we've got to at some point take revenge act violently. He just never goes there. He always absorbs. He always loves. He always forgives even to the point of death. And that's why, if anything, Christianity is a religion of forgiveness. It's a, it's a movement of people that are just absolutely about forgiveness. It's a narrow road that leads to life, but it's not easy to do at all. It's not easy. Those of us that have gone through betrayal know how difficult it is to really live out and walk out the Sermon on the Mount. It's not easy, but it's the way of Jesus. And it's the way that leads to life. It's the way of the kingdom. Self-giving love, not recycling revenge, but forgiveness. I want to finish this morning. Um, uh, do you want to go to the next slide? Jesus in this moment. Um, Jesus in this moment. Uh, once more. Shows us there is another way. 
there is another way. And and with all the pain, all the hurt, all the betrayal that we can go through, there is another way. And it's the way of love. And it's the way of forgiveness. But in this moment, Jesus was not on his own. Holy Spirit, God the Father, triune community was with him. And so he could continue to make these radically selfless and, uh, and, and, uh, and incredible uh, acts of self-giving love. He could continue to do this because of what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this morning as we finish, I'd like us to listen to one more little song. It's a song I thrashed to pieces um, in the last lockdown. It's a, um, it's a choral piece called We Are Not Alone, God Is With Us. We are not alone, God, and it just says that over and over again, and we're going to listen to that for two or three minutes, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to finish. And I want to just say for anyone going through times of great pain, great difficulty, great hurt, particularly relational, where you felt betrayed, where you felt wounded, where it's been very tough, that you would just in this moment acknowledge that you are not alone, that God is with you. And that if God is with you, He can lead you to a place of forgiveness, of kindness, where you can live out the Beatitudes, where you can live out the Sermon on the Mount, in a radical way, just like Jesus did in this moment. Amen? So let's do that now. We're going to listen to this lovely song. Uh, it's called We Are Not Alone, and it is a, a lovely piece of, uh, of reflection. Make it your prayer, and receive the Spirit of God as we do that this morning. Father, we thank you that you're with us. 
even in the deepest pain we could go through, you are with us. And Lord, I pray that you would presence yourself with us very tangibly in a very real way. Lord, when we go through those deep valleys of hurt, of betrayal, when people wound us, disappoint us, hurt us, Lord, thank you that you are with us. And Lord, help us. Lord, help us, help us, help us to be people that extend mercy, that extend kindness, that are people of forgiveness, people of self-giving love. Help us, Lord Jesus, to break out of the horrible cycles of violence and revenge and pain and all the tit-for-tat stuff that our society often does. Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, to be people of self-giving love. And so, Lord, heal us and lead us into those paths of life we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.